Welcome to Shabbat Shalom. This is your host, Sam Brancart, and this is episode 27. We're taking a two-week break from our study on the book of Revelation, and in place of this study, I'm sharing some sermons that I've preached at Ferrysburg Community Church. This is my last month serving as the Director of Student Ministries at FCC, and I want to honor my time there by sharing these. This sermon was recorded on December 13th. Well, we're currently in a season called Advent, and throughout this season, we've been in a series entitled And. So for the past couple of weeks, Pastor Nate's looked first at how Jesus is both fulfillment and promise, and then how Jesus is both God and human. These two opposing things that, that are brought together in the person and the character of Jesus. And this week, we're going to be focusing on how Jesus is both grace and truth, two paradoxical qualities held fully and completely in tandem. If you have your Bible with you, flip with me to the Gospel of John. So John is the fourth book in the New Testament, and today we're going to be looking at the first chapter. So we're going to be reading John chapter 1, verse 14. This is out of the NIV. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pastor Nate dove into the beginning of the book of John last week, but I'd like for us to take a look at it again just to give us some context for this verse that we're going to be focusing on for today. So we're going to read out of chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So we read that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see what Nate talked about last week, how Jesus was and is God. So when we read verse 14, and, and we read that the Word became flesh, we understand that Jesus, who is fully God, became fully human. So let's break verse 14 down a little bit. There are two main parts we'll focus on. The first part says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And now this part of the verse, to first century Jewish listeners, would have been extremely startling. They would have understood the context. So dwelling, another word for dwelling is tabernacle. And right away, a Jewish mind would go back to the Old Testament which understood the Israelites, before they came to Israel, they moved around in tents. And in the center of their camp was the tabernacle, the glory of God resting in a tent. And so when they would have heard the beginning of this verse, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle among us, they would have understood that he became one of us. He, he came in human form and tabernacled among us. 
Let's look at the second part of the verse. It's a little bit more verbose, and it says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What did he look like when God, Jesus, came to earth and became human? Well, we read here that we see, we have seen his glory, and his glory was full of grace and truth. So what did he look like? He looked like he was full of grace and truth. And that makes me wonder, what would people say about you and about me? Jesus is full of grace and truth. What, what are we full of? Oh, I mean, I can think of, of different things that people are full of. Like, man, there's, there's a girl I know that's so full of peace. Or someone who's so full of joy. And then there's people in our lives that we're like, man, when I see them, I just know they're full of anger or regret or jealousy, anxiety. These things that different people are full of. But the words that John uses here are grace and truth to describe Jesus. What a thing to be known for. When we read that Jesus is full of grace and truth, something that we should notice is the order in which these words are presented. So which word is listed first? Grace. And there's a definite reason for this. First century Jewish culture would have understood truth far better than grace. We read stories in the Bible about how Pharisees made laws around laws. They taught Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they clung to truth. They sought to live lives of truth, but they missed the mark when it comes to grace. Grace comes first in this verse because it's more surprising. This plays out in Jesus' own ministry with the woman at the well in John 4, with the woman caught in adultery in John 8, and with the interaction with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus cared. He reached out to meet a physical need to create some relational connection before he spoke the words of truth, the words of life. And our pattern has to be the same. In order for our family, our friends, our co-workers and neighbors to have any desire to hear the truth, to hear the gospel, they often need to see and experience the grace that comes through our lives. Well, I've noticed, and you probably have too, that most people lean one way or the other when it comes to grace and truth. By personality and upbringing and a whole bunch of other factors, most of us lean in one direction or the other. So maybe some of us identify as grace people. Grace people are pleasant to be around. They don't ruffle any feathers, they cut us a lot of slack, they're easygoing, and they accept us for who we are. They love forgiveness and freedom. They don't make demands and they're welcoming. But without truth, grace isn't really grace. It's just being accepting and nice. 
Grace people without truth are pleasant to be around, but we often wonder if they really like us or if they're just trying to be liked. They're tolerant, but they don't often know the difference between right and wrong. Grace people can be cowardly. They often refuse to make tough decisions in life. They demand nothing from others and get nothing in return. They accept us for who we are, but they don't really help us become who we should be. Well, maybe as I was explaining this grace person, you just don't relate. Perhaps you're more of a truth person. Truth people, man, they're easy to admire. They have convictions and principles. They believe in right and wrong. They set standards. They set, speak out against injustice and oppression. They love studying scripture and theology. They stand up for what they believe in, no matter who's against them. But without grace, telling the truth can often be met with resistance and hostility. Truth people without grace may be loyal to their cause, but we often wonder, are they loyal to us? They want to change us and make us better, but they often don't allow for mistakes. They're sometimes quick to judge and they can be slow to forgive. They make difficult decisions, but they also make life difficult for others. Truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that can push the world away from Christ. Well, a friend of mine recently told me a story about when he was out deer hunting. He had his bow with him and he was set up in his tree stand. He had just gotten another doe license in the mail and he was out at the golden hour, which is the hour before sunset when the deer are moving around and finding something to eat. So he's out there and he's already been out there for a couple of hours just waiting. He'd seen a few does a little further off, but he was just waiting for one to come into his light sign of vision, light sign. Um, and so he's sitting there waiting and this group of three comes toward him and the biggest one is leading the group and he focuses in on her and they're coming closer and closer, maybe 25 feet away. He tests the air. The wind is blowing away from them. Perfect. So he waits. They're in the underbrush. She just has to take two more steps and he could take the shot. All of a sudden, the wind changes, goes right over towards her. The deer picks up her face, looks at him, and bolts. They all do. Well, he's frustrated. He was ready to take the shot, and the wind changed, and it was completely out of his control. But instead of just giving up, he, he's like, all right, I'm going to be patient, and he, he sits there. About 20 minutes later, a doe that he'd seen earlier walks closer. Right away, he checks the wind. It's blowing behind him now. And so she's walking up next to him, and she's behind his tree. And he's thinking, two more steps, and I can take this shot. He is so ready. Got his breathing focused. Two more steps. And right away, the wind changes again. She breathes his scent and takes off. After sitting there for a few hours, he walked away without taking any shots. He was ready, but it was completely out of his control. 
Now, as he's telling me this story, I'm thinking there are so many things in life that we can't control. And that's the truth. But what he didn't need to hear in that moment was the truth. What he needed was for me to listen and to tell him that he'd have another chance and, and that it wasn't his fault. People who lean too far on the side of truth can come across uncaring. It's true that it was out of his control, but that's not what he needed to hear. He wanted to be met with understanding and grace rather than facts and truth. The challenge is to be both full of grace and truth. We don't get to pick either or. If we speak truth disconnected from grace, we have everything to say, but likely no one to say it to. And the opposite is also true. If we exhaust ourselves showing grace, but never speak the message of truth, we might find an audience, but in the end have nothing of eternal value to say. It was a couple months back and I was studying the Old Testament and I love searching the Bible to find for when something happens for the first time. The first time somebody prayed or cried or worshipped or the first time an angel appeared. And I remember wondering, when was the first time that God described his character? There are so many different times throughout the very beginning of Genesis and to the beginning of Exodus that we see God doing things, creating things, responding. We see what he does, but when did he actually tell us about himself? I think distinctly of Moses' interaction with God at the burning bush and when Moses asked God what his name was. And in Exodus 3, God says, I am that I am. He gives Moses his name, but he doesn't explain much more of who he is until much later. It's after God uses Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. It's after Moses is up on the mountain with God and receives the Ten Commandments. It's after the Israelites had grown weary of waiting for Moses to come down the mountain and they'd made the golden calf and bowed down to it in worship. After all of this, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And so what does God do? God places Moses in the cleft of a rock. He covers him with his hands and he passes by him. And then we read in Exodus 34, 6, when God passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God identified himself as abounding in love and faithfulness. And so something really cool here is that these two words, love, hesed in the Hebrew, and faithfulness, amet, they translate to grace and truth. The attributes of God in the Old Testament, the first time he ever proclaimed his character, is seen here in the Gospel of John. God's character never changes. He is continually full of grace and truth. So I've thrown these two words around a lot, but what do they mean? And more importantly, what do they not mean? 
Well, when I was working on my undergrad, one of my classes was on worldview, and, and the professor gave us an assignment. She told us, I want you to go and experience a faith tradition that's outside of your own, and ask questions, and then write a paper about it. So my roommate at the time, her name's Stephanie, I had asked her if I could go with her to Catholic church. She grew up going to Catholic church, and I'd only experienced it once when I was in high school, so I'm not super familiar with it, I definitely had questions. So I went with her and we went to this service and afterwards I remember sitting in the pew and just having a lot of questions. Why, why were certain things done in the way that they were done? Why did the priest say certain things that he said? And what stands out to me from that assignment is not so much her answers, but her lack thereof. I would ask a question, why is this done this way? And her response would be, well, that's just the way that it's done. So my big takeaway from that assignment, and, and something that's really shaped who I am, is to find out the truth behind the tradition. And just that truth is so much more important than tradition. Sure, traditions can be meaningful and important, but I think it's also important to understand the why behind them. Maybe you're someone who leans more on the side of grace, and I want to challenge you to ask why more. Are there things that you do or words that you say that reflect tradition but lack truth? I want to encourage you to seek out truth. Ask hard questions. Don't simply accept tradition. Learn whether or not that tradition is grounded in truth. Jesus was all grace. He accepted sinners, tax collectors, and he ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed little children to come and sit on his lap. He healed lepers, the lame and the blind. He saved a criminal on the cross who in his dying breath confessed that Jesus is God. Jesus is also all truth. He condemned many of the religious leaders of his day for being liars and hypocrites. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called all of those who would be his disciples to take up their cross daily and follow him. He obeyed the law, set standards, and demanded everything from his followers, even their very lives. In his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox, Randy Alcorn writes, Christ-likeness means living by grace and truth, extending both to others. Instead of the world's apathy and tolerance, we offer grace. Instead of the world's relativism and deception, we offer truth. Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All grace, all truth, all the time. Well, there we have it. This is the first week of a two-week break from our study on the book of Revelation. I hope that you are able to learn and grow from that sermon that I shared. If you'd like to be able to check out Ferrisburg Community Church more, you can follow the link that I have tagged in the sermon notes or the show notes, since this is a show and not a sermon. And then also, if you'd like to check out the full service from December 13th, I have a link in the show notes as well to Ferrisburg Community Church's YouTube channel. 
So this is all we have for today. We'll pick up next Friday with another sermon that I preached at FCC. So check that out next week. And you can find me on Instagram at Sam Frankart. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Maranatha.